claims us. He claims us. He calls us his own. He claims us. Anybody else in here got kids? Ever been tempted to not claim them? <laughs> Ever been tempted to look at them and go, I don't, I don't know who. That s- somebody lost a little boy. Or wives, you look at your husband and say, that's your son. In those moments, you're tempted to say, I didn't have anything to do with that. Listen, he will never not claim you. Never. He'll never not claim you. (laughs) In spite of all our stuff, all our junk, all the mistakes, all the sin, every way we've missed it, still he claims you. Still he claims you. Why would he do that? You ready? Here's the answer. He loves you. He loves you. And you and I have got to set our eyes on that day after day after day. Get our eyes off situations. Get our eyes off circumstances. Get our eyes off symptoms. And get our eyes over onto how much our daddy loves us. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take the next few minutes and just set our eyes on the word, on Jesus. And when we're doing that, we're looking at love himself. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we worship you today. We give you glory and praise, Lord, because you're so good to us. You're so faithful and kind. You've been merciful. You've been gracious. You've been forgiving. And we thank you for it, Lord. And today, Father, we open up your word. And I'm asking you, Lord, believing today that we receive eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. Give us today eyes that see Jesus and Him only. Give us ears that hear the voice of our good shepherd who calls us by name and leads us out. And we believe we receive from you today, sir, hearts that understand who we are in Jesus and who Jesus is in us. We thank you for this. We give you praise, honor, and glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, praise God. I got to tell you that this is such a special treat and an honor for Sarah and I uh, to be with you. We're, we're a part of this church, this one here, the one in Branson. We just, we, we don't live anywhere near either one of them, but we call them home. And uh, I got to tell you, the Lord has really spoken directly to Sarah and I about some things where we are in our life and in our marriage and in our ministry and he has made it very clear to us that there is something that we are to receive on a regular basis from this ministry and brother keith miss phyllis you guys we've said this to you before but we don't get an opportunity very often to say it publicly you mean so very much to us so much anybody else feel the same way just a few just a few days ago we were uh, with another couple some good friends of ours and uh, they pastor a church outside Chicago we were with them we were just talking about you guys I don't know if your ears were burning but we were just talking about how thankful we are for the word that comes through this place and as I was getting ready for this today I believe the Lord quickened something to me and let me just share it with you and we'll get right into the word but you know you and I must never treat our pastors as though there's something more important than they could do for us than give us the word. 
Now that's whether or not Brother Keith and Ms. Phyllis are your pastors or you're visiting from another church, you're watching online, you're part of another church, whoever you are and wherever you are and whatever church you're in, never treat your pastor, your pastors, as though there's something more important that they could do for you than give you the Word of God. Now look, I know there are other things that pastors do. I know there's times of fellowship. I know there's times of connecting with each other. But none of it is more important than the time they spend in the presence of God, in the Word of God, on your behalf and mine, and saying, Lord, for the sake of these people, speak. And as long as you and I have pastors that will do that for us, there's never a reason to leave. It's funny when you hear about people leaving a place. This one or thousands of churches all over the world, and it's for this reason or that. It's like, but, but weren't you getting fed? Wasn't the word good? Yeah, but, but you know, they didn't, they didn't say hi that day when I was... Come on, man, really? There's nothing more important. And I got to tell you, the word that's coming out of this place, coming out of that production center, going all over the world, anybody... Uh, agree with me or join with me and say you've been changed by it? Yeah. Praise the Lord. God is good. You bring a Bible with you this morning. I want you to go first of all to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Excited about this today. Um, the Lord began talking to Sarah and I oh, about six or eight months ago and has set us on a path and a course that has really, really changed some things in us and some, some ways of thinking. And so you're, we're catching each other this morning. You're catching me like mid-change, okay? But that's kind of when we should always be catching each other. Always changing, right? And I, I want to get into this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse 16. It says this. It says, we do not lose heart. You could say there, we don't quit. We do not quit. We don't give up. We don't give in. We don't give out. And we don't quit. Amen? We don't lose heart. We don't quit. Man, if that was, if that was what described you and I, we would, we would go so far in this life, in the things of God, in our walk of faith, if we just wouldn't quit. You are not gifted to quit. That's not your anointing, just so you know. You don't, you don't get to sit in small groups and everybody go around the circle and say what their gift is, and when they come to you, you say, I'm gifted to quit. No, you, you're not. Well, I like to start stuff, but then when it gets difficult, I usually bow out and quit. That's, that's kind of what my life's about. Not anymore. You hear me? You're not a quitter. We don't lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Notice this in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a, how long? A moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Go back to verse 17. I want to show you a couple of words here. Notice what he says. He says, our light affliction. Everybody say the word light. light. What's he talking about there? He's talking about something that doesn't weigh anything. It's light. 
Now, if you really want to find out what he's talking about here, you just back up a few verses. And if you were to go back to verses 7, 8, and 9, you'd hear him say things like this. We are hard pressed on every side. That's pressure. That's pressure coming on you, coming at you from every direction, looking in front of you, behind you, left and right, up and down. It just feels like it's pressing in on you. That's financial pressure. That's family pressure. That's job pressure. That's cultural pressure coming from every direction. But he said, we're pressed, but what? What did he say? Anybody remember? We're not crushed. He said, we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Do you remember him saying all these things? And it's all these things that he's talking about when he says here in verse 17, it's light. This is light. This doesn't weigh anything. This is a light affliction. And he used this other word to describe it, momentary. How long is momentary? Just like that. See, I think we need to start having a mind shift and a change of heart when we look at the things that are going on and difficult things and challenges. we got to start looking at this stuff and calling it light and momentary. This is light. This ain't not, you know, there are things that could be so light you didn't even know that you had them in your hand. That's how light something could be. And he called all this pressure. When's the last time you called your financial pressure light? Oh, that ain't nothing. You know, so you need to get in the habit of describing some problems like this. Ready? <laughs> that needs to be the way you and I describe some of the stuff that's against us. Ready? Just try it. <laughs> Financial pressure. <laughs> pressure at work. <laughs> what? It's light. Doesn't even deserve an actual word, just a sound. <laughs> light and momentary. But I want you to notice this. Put that verse back up there, verse 17. It's light in comparison to something else. It's light and it's momentary in comparison to the far more exceeding and eternal, what? Weight. Weight of glory. You got the light problem, but you got the heavy glory. You got something that's momentary, and then you got something that's eternal. And I want these two words to stand out to you today as we talk about this. You've got, you've got something that's light, and you've got something that's weighty. If you were to go back through the Old Testament, you see this not once, not twice, but I would say half a dozen times or more. You would see God speaking to His people and giving them specific direction uh, you see this in the book of Proverbs over and over. He says in talking about how they do business, how they conduct business with each other, he says that, that diverse weights and measures are an abomination to him. Diverse weights and diverse measures, differing weights. What's he talking about? Well, if you lived in that time and you went to market to buy something, you probably know this, but you didn't step up to a cash register, did you? You didn't have a wallet that you pulled cash out of, and you certainly did not swipe a piece of plastic. <laughs> What's plastic? You know, I mean, this, this is a whole different way of doing things. Instead of walking up to something like that, you would step up to a set of scales. 
and the item that you're purchasing, the merchant, the guy selling that to you, has ascribed that thing a certain weight. Okay? So what he would do is he would reach into his bag. They had a bag that was literally called the bag of weights. And he would reach into that bag and put whatever weight was necessary on his side of the scale. And then what you would do is reach into your money bag and start pulling out gold, silver, whatever. You could pull out shekels. You're familiar with that term, right, shekels? You know what the term shekel is? It's a unit or a measurement of weight. It's not, you can't think of it like change the way we do. It's weight. That's how they found value in things. It was in its weight. And so when he put his weight on his side of the scale, it was then your job to start filling up your side of the scale with money until they evened out. And that's how you know you've paid his asking price. Now, when God was speaking to his people, he said, it's an abomination to him. That's not a word God just throws around loosely. There are not just a whole bunch of things, a big long list of things that he calls abomination. I think we've got a big long list of stuff. Oh, that's an abomination. Well, look at what he said is. I grew up here in the chewing gum in church, grieved the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. But what I'm saying to you is when he says it's an abomination, you know this is serious. It's an abomination to him for that merchant doing business with another man or woman to lie about the weight that's on one side. To say that it's a certain amount, but really it's heavier to get you to pay more. I mean, how would you feel? We still practice this to a certain degree. You go into the grocery store and you're buying produce, right? How do you buy it? So much of it you buy by the pound. What if you found out one day that the grocery store you've been going to for the last decade has rigged all their scales to get you to pay uh, two cents more every time you do it? What do you think, two cents? Yeah, but over ten years and hundreds of people a day? That's cheating? That's lying? That's stealing? That's defrauding? And the biggest thing of it all, it's no faith in God. Because if I feel like I've got to do that to you, to get mine, then evidently I don't trust God. This is why he calls an abomination. Now, now, what are we talking about here? This is what the Lord began dealing with us on months and months ago. He started putting things to us in, in this type of thinking. He said, Jeremy, what are, what are you guys giving weight to? You familiar with that terminology? Somebody you trust says something. You believe them what? You give weight to what they say. You give weight. You add importance to things, to their words, to others' words, to situations. I was in, um, actually in the Branson meeting, the Branson Victory Campaign, uh, back in March. And uh, my grandfather, Brother Copeland, was preaching, and he said something that so caught my attention along these lines. He said, there are things that have been big to us that are small to God. And things that are big to him that have been too small to us. Do you follow that? Things that have been so big to us. So big to us. 
Like we're talking about pressure. It's so big, it, it totally consumes the thoughts and the mind and the words and, and your life. And you're thinking about it and you're talking about it and you're thinking about it and you're talking about it. What are you doing? Every time you give voice to that thought, you add weight to it. 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 And there are things that have been big to us, but they are to God. They are light and momentary. And God spoke to his people over and over and over and he commanded them, you use just scales. Do not use an unjust scale. Do not use an unjust balance. So you go to God and you've got these issues and these problems and you essentially load up your side of the scale. Everything you're giving weight to. Every issue, every, every distraction, every single thing that's just plaguing your heart and mind. And you, let, let's, this keeps coming up and I think this is the direction we're going to go. Financial pressure. You ready? You load up that side of the scale. God, I have got to have this amount of money. I owe this. They need that. I want this and it costs that. And you load up that side of the scale until God looks back at you and says, okay, you done? For now. I'm done for now. And he reaches into his bag because the scripture says, watch this, all the weights of the bag are his. And you know what he pulls out? That exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The glory that is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you were to back up just a few verses before where we're reading, you know what he says? He says, we have in earthen vessels. Can I see the hands of all the earthen vessels in here? Yeah. We have in earthen vessels the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. It's what's in you. And that's why he went right from that into, I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. When you put pressure... On every side of an earthen vessel, a cheap clay pot, guess what happens to it? It's crushed unless, unless there's something in it that's pushing back. Unless there's something, unless, watch this, unless greater is what's in it than what's against it. That's what's in you. And he puts on his side of the scale that exceeding and eternal weight of glory. (laughs) But if you stand there looking at it and you hear that and you come sit in this place and you hear the answer to the question week in, week out, month after month, and you still walk out going, God, my money problems, God, my money problems, God, my money problems. You add weight to it until your side of the scale outweighs his. That's unjust. That's a dishonest balance. So I want to show you this in some other places today. Go, um, go to the book of Luke chapter 12. We are going to fix this scale. We are going to begin right now to adjust this scale. When I heard my grandfather say that, things that have been big to us but they're small to God and things that are big to him that have been too small to us, I decided right then, my life is about fixing that scale. If it's big to him, it's going to be big to me. If it's small to him, it's small to me. 
no matter what it feels like on my flesh, no matter what it feels like inside, and the worry that tries to come with it, if it's small to him, it's small to me. Luke chapter 12, let me show you this in action here. In, in this chapter, we won't take time to read the whole thing. You should because it's so good. But Jesus has come to a place to preach. And you see in the first verse that there are so many people. I think one translation says that there are thousands of people that have come to hear him. And they've begun to trample each other. They're thronging him. I grew up going to conventions where my grandparents would speak. And it always made me laugh as a kid. When that big, long line of people would start at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning before the doors open, right? And they're all here to love Jesus, all here to worship God, singing the songs, getting the word. But when those doors open, baby, you better be out of my way because it's Black Friday at Walmart up in here. I should watch it as a kid and think all these Christian people just trampling each other. Why? For this seat, this one right here. Because you can't hear from right there. you got to sit right here. <laughs> they did it to Jesus. Trampling each other to get to him. And Jesus begins speaking. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to them. And he begins, he begins saying some things. And for the sake of this this morning, we could say he is saying some very weighty things. Very weighty. Again, we won't take time to look at all of it, but if you go back and look, you're going to find him saying things like, you don't need to be afraid of God. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Growing up in a culture and a society where that's all you knew was fear of God. They were all their lifetimes subject to the fear of death. They were in bondage to it, the Bible says. And Jesus came and he said, you don't have to be afraid of him. And he told them why. Now imagine you're hearing this for the first time. I know it's not. I know you've heard it before. But imagine it's the first time. He said, are not, I think it was five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And yet your heavenly father knows each one of them. And then he asked this question, are you not of more value than they are? When Jesus asks these questions, don't treat them as rhetorical. Answer the man. This will set you free if you will answer Jesus' question. If Jesus says to you, are you not of more value than they? Answer him. Yes. In your eyes and according to your word, I am valuable. Don't base it on what you feel. Don't base it on what you think. You base it on this word. Are you not of more value than they? And he said this. He said, every hair on your head is numbered. Your father knows the number of each hairs on your head. I, I studied this out and found out that this, I guess it's this term or this word numbered. It wasn't just a reference to knowing how many there are. It was that you could pull one out and he could tell you which number it was. Now, how cool is that? But it's not just cool. It's that kind of love we were talking about earlier. It makes no sense. What's the point? What's the point of him knowing the number of hairs on my head? The point is, you can't get it with your head. The point is, I love you beyond your ability to rationalize it, so quit trying to rationalize it and believe it. And this is the stuff he's laying down. This is some weighty stuff. 
And in the middle of this, go to verse 13. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You've got to be watchful about just starting in the middle of a story. You lose the context of it. Jesus was preaching. And a guy from the crowd found enough boldness to interrupt the man. And when it said people were thronging to get to Jesus, I bet you anything it was this guy. <laughs> it's obvious. He has come here with something on his mind. And you can look at what he said. Tell my brother. This is not a request. This is not a I humbly beseech thee. This is, shh, I need to say something. Tell my brother. There's no honor in this. There's no respect in this. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Somebody help me. What kind of problem is this? This is a what? Money problem. It's a money problem in the midst of Jesus talking about and revealing to all men for all time how valuable they are in the eyes of God. Pretty weighty. I said, pretty weighty. You know what he said right after that? He said, if you will claim me before men, I will claim you before God and all the angels. How many untold millions upon millions upon millions of people have been born again and experienced the greatest miracle ever because they heard a man or woman stand at an altar and say, all you have to do is claim him before people and he'll claim you before God. And the Holy Spirit began to tug on people's hearts and got them up out of their seat, came to an altar like this one or, or altars like it all over the world and made Jesus the Lord of their lives and were saved from hell and eternity and were promised a place with Jesus in the presence of God for all time because of these words right here. As much as the body of Christ disagrees on stuff here, stuff there, I bet you anything, every single person, regardless of denomination, regardless of background, regardless of culture, agrees on these words right here. You claim Jesus, He claims you. Somebody say, weighty. This is heavy. And it didn't stop there. I mean, he went on. But it was in the middle of this that this guy interrupts Jesus. Do you know what interrupting is? It's literally saying to somebody, I hear words coming out of your mouth, but they pale in comparison to the ones I have yet to speak. So if I could get you to shut up just for a second and allow me to speak, we'll get this all worked out. Brother Keith came to our church when I was a teenager and preached a series called Humility. Oh, it hurts so good. And actually, that series is on the website. When you go and listen to that one, that was from our church. And you just picture little teenage Jeremy sitting there going, oh, oh. And I found out in that series that pride is an interrupter. Pride is an interrupter. Man, that changed the culture of our church and the ministry. And every time for like the next, I don't know how long, people, if they started to interrupt, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't interrupt, I apologize. 
please forgive me. You know, I mean, it was nobody wanted any pride found in them anywhere. But that's what this guy did, interrupted Jesus. Why? Because what was on his mind outweighed what Jesus was already saying. Now help me, is that a just scale or an unjust scale? Is there any financial problem that outweighs one person finding out how to make Jesus the Lord of their life? No. Is there any financial concern, any money issue whatsoever that outweighs one person finding out how loved they are? by God. But this is an unjust scale. To interrupt what Jesus was talking to him about with, I've got a money problem. And you can hear it too. Listen, this goes on in verse 14. Look at it. Let's put it up here. But he said to him, man, you can almost hear it in his voice, can't you? Man, come on, man, really? Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. The New Living Translation says it like this. Life is not measured by how much you own. Life is not measured by how much you own. I'm going to say it again because every time I do it, somebody's getting free. Life is not measured by how much you own. Life isn't measured by what you own. Here's some good news. It's not measured by what you don't own. This is great news right here. You ready? Your life isn't measured by what he owns. It just keeps getting better. Watch. Your life isn't measured by what they don't own. Life isn't measured by what you own. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things you possess. Life can't be measured in dollar amount. Life can't be measured in square footage. Life can't be measured by the emblem that's on the hood of your car. Life can't be measured by the name brand sewn into your jeans. Life can't be measured that way. But yet so many people are endeavoring to, aren't they? Just notice the way we, we talk to each other and about each other. You look at what somebody's driving. You look at what somebody's wearing. You look at what somebody's living in. And your thought is, man, that guy is doing well. How do you know? How do you know? Well, you're looking at stuff to measure how somebody's, how much life they're living. You're using the wrong stick. You can't measure life with stuff. You can't measure life with things. Amen. Are you with me this morning? And this is, this is something that's beginning to work in Sarah and I right now because it's really, it's reprioritizing everything. Matter of fact, not long ago we sat down with each other and put, put on paper, we put something at the top and we said, what is the most valuable? What is the most weighty? And we started making our list. And can I tell you what's not number one? Money. Money. Now here's what's interesting about all this. I know you and you know me. We believe in a good God, don't we? I not only believe in a God that wants me to be wealthy, I believe in a God that needs me to be wealthy. To establish His covenant 
And for the sake of my own generation, he needs me to preach to them how to prosper in him. How to prosper in him. But the interesting thing about money is God can't trust you with it until he knows that you know what to do with it. Until he knows that you know it's not first place. Oh, he wants you to have it. He needs you to have it. And we, we, we say this a lot. You know, God wants his people wealthy. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people he doesn't want wealthy. Because they don't know what to do with it. They have no idea what to do with it. What if you owned your own business and you had somebody working for you that just made stupid mistake with money after mistake after mistake? Evidently, they don't know what needs to be done with the money, your money. Do you go give them more? No. You can't give them more until you know that they know what you want done with it. So to increase God's way, we got to know right away money's not first. It's not even second. It's not even third. You go study the scriptures and find out all the things that are more valuable than money. Proverbs talks about, you know this one, wisdom. A wise word is greater than riches, is greater than gold. Loyalty is greater than riches. Truth is greater than gold. There are so many things that far outweigh money, and yet we keep giving weight to the money problem, the money issue, the money thoughts. You wake up with it. You think about it. You go about your day with it on your mind. And the more it's on your mind, the more it's coming out of your mouth. The more it's coming out of your mouth, the more you're acting on what you think and what you say. And you go to bed with the same thought and problem on your mind that you woke up with and carried around with you all day. Let me tell you something. Every time you think it and speak it, you give more weight to it. And it's as though worrying about it is going to add money to you. As a matter of fact, if you were to couple Luke 12 with the exact same account in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying the exact same things, and he says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? It'd be silly to think that a short guy could worry real hard and grow an inch, <laughs> right? You come across a little guy, and he's just... Mm -hmm. What are you doing, buddy? I'm just I'm trying to grow. Well, it's not going to work. Did you know it's just as foolish to think that worrying about money is going to increase you financially? If anything, it will subtract from you. It'll take away. So Jesus responds to this guy, and I guarantee you it's not what this guy came to hear. And I, I love what you see here because, you know, Jesus, he could have responded to him any, any number of ways. This guy interrupted his message. Jesus, Jesus could have said, we'll deal with that later. He, he could have just said, ushers, help me. He, anything. He could have said anything, but he responded to this guy, and it wasn't just with one word. He took the next something like 20 verses to respond and to correct this way of thinking. Everything Jesus said to this man, again, not what he came to hear, but it was the truth, wasn't it? It was a correction to this covetous way of thinking. What is covetousness? It's just simply wanting something too much. It's just wanting it too much. 
And this guy obviously has given this money issue between him and his brother so much weight that he's come to Jesus and said, you tell him. What's that mean? We're not speaking anymore. I wonder if this is still happening. You think? Maybe? There's a chance that this kind of thing is still going on. Certainly not in the church, right? Certainly not between brothers and sisters in the church. Certainly not between Christian families has money crept in between people and caused strife and caused division and caused us to not even be able to speak to each other anymore. I think it's still going on. And Jesus took 20 verses to correct it. You know, the Lord spoke to me one day about this. He said, didn't I say... Who I, who I love, I correct. I thought, Lord, you love this guy. <laughs> and then I realized, he's not just correcting him, is he? He's correcting me. Anybody else? He's correcting us. Because he loves us. And this correction culminated with this one statement right here. You ready? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I know you've heard that verse before. I grew up hearing it too. But it wasn't until recently that I realized Jesus spoke that in correction to this covetous way of thinking, in correction to giving weight to the wrong thing. What's He saying? Give weight to the kingdom. Give weight to God's way of doing things. Give weight to what He calls weighty. And all this stuff you're worried about gets added to you when you give weight to the right side of the scale. Come on, are you with me this morning? Now look at how He corrected this. He corrected it with a parable. In verse 16, he said, The ground of a certain rich man yield, yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? This is, this is the best problem to have right here. And it's a good question. How many of you believe you're coming to a day in your life where you will have too much? You will have so much that you will have to ask yourself, what do I do with all of this? Now think about that. Isn't that what Jesus said? I came that you'd have life and have it how? More what? That's a measurement. That's what Jesus is revealing here. It's not just that you can't measure life with stuff. The other side of that revelation is life can be measured. Just not with that. Come on, listen, life can and should be measured. If I were to ask you, how much life are you living? How would you measure that? Do you look at the house? Do you look at the car? Do you look, look at the clothes? Do you look at somebody else's house, car, clothes, stuff? Because if you do, again, time out, using the wrong stick to measure it. You're using the wrong gauge. You can't measure life with that stuff. It's like riding along in your car and the, the check engine light comes on and there's smoke coming out of the hood and you hear a bang, crash, boom coming out of the back and you think to yourself, now wait a second, how much money do I have in savings? Okay, no, I'm good. 
No, that light came on in the car because it's measuring the life of the car. What you have in savings doesn't measure the life of the car. Are you with me? How foolish it would be to think, I don't need to pull over. I don't need to get this checked. I don't need to put gas in the car. I don't need to change the oil. Why? Because I got money. These are nice clothes. I live in a big house. This car was expensive. It doesn't need gas. Yeah. (laughs) You're using the wrong thing to measure the life of that car. In the same way, you can't use that stuff to measure your life. But Jesus said, I came that you'd have life and have it, how? More abundantly. That's a measurement. That's overflow. That's too much. That's what do I do with all this? And that's the position this guy is in. And notice the ground yielded, Jesus said. The ground did this. In other words, God did this. It's God who gives the increase. And he said, notice in verse 17, he thought within himself, there is a big part of the problem right there. He thought within himself. Most people never learn to think beyond themselves. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. These are pathetic life goals. Here's a wealthy man, and if somebody were to sit down with him and interview him and say, you have so much, what's the plan? What's the goal? Have you dreamed about where you're headed? Have you dreamed about what you're going to do with all this? And he takes a long look down at the ground, looks back at him and says, yes, I've thought for a long time what I will do with all of this, and I have a plan. I plan to eat a lot. (laughs) I plan to drink. Yes, I plan to eat and I plan to drink. (laughs) And that's all. (laughs) This is pathetic. This is pathetic. And it's called retirement. Now listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with with retirement. It's what you do with the time that you now have. Because your time far outweighs your money. And if the greatest thing you can come up with to do is eat whatever you want and drink whatever you want and nobody can tell you otherwise, well, let's just see what Jesus says. You get mad at him instead of me. He... (laughs) Notice what Jesus said to him in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose, those things, uh, then whose will those things be which you have provided? And so is he, or what? So is he a fool, notice this, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So many people have looked at this as though it were some opposing viewpoint to us who believe God wants us prosperous. No, the, the, the problem here is laying up the treasure for yourself and just laying it up and laying it up and laying it up. That's not the purpose for money. 
See, and it's until we understand this, God can't increase us more. Until you understand that money is not, its greatest goal is not to be saved. Money has two purposes. Are you ready? Giving and spending. Well, what about saving? You are saving until you know where to give it or you know where to spend it. That's what saving's for. You got money in savings? That's just the money I hadn't been told what to do with yet. And when that mindset gets rooted down in you and you say, Lord, I desire to honor you with my wealth. Now, typically we read that in light of, of giving in the offering. And, of course, you do honor the Lord when you give. But to honor the Lord with your wealth, you know what it is? It's just simply to do what he says do with it. You can honor the Lord in your spending. Do you believe this church, our church, is honoring the Lord in the things, that these projects that are going on? That's spending. That's not giving. That's spending, and it's an honor to him. Does anybody else ever just sit back in this green chair and go, wow, when you think about all that's come in, and it's just, the money's just not a problem. Well, God, how can you do that for this place? Because they know what he wants done with it. And they also know it's not the biggest thing. Don't you just love how Brother Keith, he, he, he'll tell you about the projects, and then watch Moves on. This moves on. It'd be another thing entirely if he'd spent 37 weeks talking to you about tithing. Tithing, 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 and just driving it home and beating it into you. And, oh, God, if you don't tithe, if you don't tithe. Well, you, you, hear, you hear people who do that, and you know right away, they're not trying to help you, are they? Sorry, I'm wading off into stuff here. <laughs> But Jesus said, you're a fool if you lay up treasure for yourself without being rich towards God. Now we're getting into how you measure life. Life can be measured, are you ready? In the richness of your relationship with Him. You can measure life with that. Regardless of what you presently have or don't have, you can measure life with the richness of your relationship with God. When the goal is not just treasure here, but it's this treasure of a relationship with Him. Lord, quicken this to me yesterday. I went back and read this whole thing in Matthew 6, and for the first time, maybe in my life, these words stood out to me in a way they'd never had before. And Jesus said, Don't lay up treasure for yourself here on earth where moth and rust does destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why don't you say those words? Treasures in heaven. Say it again. Treasures in heaven. Can I tell you something? Our heavenly treasure is nowhere near real enough to us. Not yet. It's not real enough to us yet. Why? There's one reason I believe it's not real enough to you. You ready? Because you can't see it. But you go back to where we started today and you got two sides of the same scale. On one side you've got light and on the other side you've got weighty. In those same verses, what did he say? He said, uh, we don't look at the things that are seen. If it's seen, it's light. If you can see it, it's momentary. It's light. If it's unseen, it's eternal and it's weighty. 
our heavenly treasure. This is what the Lord started stirring in me yesterday. This is new to me, so let's experience this together. You ready? (laughs) Our heavenly treasure far outweighs, far outweighs whatever treasure we could possibly lay up here on the earth. Our heavenly treasure is so weighty. Our heavenly treasure is so rich, and it begins in the richness of our relationship with God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's begin to try to find a place here to close. Mark chapter 10. Let me show you this. Again, in the ministry of Jesus. Again, Jesus corrected that way of thinking, measuring life the wrong way, and he said, here, this will fix it. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And seek it first. Why don't people spend time seeking? Because it's just that. It's time. They they think they don't have any. And most people would rather save money and spend time. But that's wrong. I would rather spend money to save time. I want to be a time millionaire. I want to be rich with time. What's that mean? It means I get to do only what I see my father do. Not obligated anywhere else, not in debt with my time to others and other things that he didn't have me involved in. I want to be a time millionaire. I don't even really know what all that means. So you think about it. You come up with something, let me know. But I just, it just seems right to me. I want to be rich with time. So I can say, Lord, you want me there? I'm there. You need me here? I'm here. You want me saying this? I'll say it. And I would spend money to get myself into that position. Are you with me? Seek first the kingdom. Let me tell you the story before we read Mark 10. Almost five years ago now, Sarah and I, we were on staff with my grandparents in their ministry. We had served my parents in the church, and then there was a time where we transitioned over to the outreach side of Kenneth Copeland Ministries and traveled and as a representative of them. And in, that, in the course of time, the Lord really began to deal with Sarah and I and put something in our hearts about having our own ministry, which... I'll be honest with you, when we first started thinking it, I didn't even know if I was allowed to say that out loud. You know what I mean? You just, I just figured this is my place, this is where I'll be forever, but I know the Lord began dealing with us about it. So time went on, we sat down with my grandparents and submitted that to them. We say, this is what we believe the Lord's saying to us. How does it seem to you? And they said, this seems good, it seems God. They prayed over us, they launched us out. That was almost five years ago. And right about that time, the Lord began dealing with us and put a hunger in us to have a place for our ministry. We were operating out of our living room and um, we would have our entire staff come to our house, so the three of us, and we, uh, (laughs) uh, we just had a hunger and a desire for our ministry to have a place. And we spent a lot of time looking. A lot of time, I believe, at the direction of the Lord looking And a lot of time looking at things we showed ourselves. 
there was a point, I don't really know when it was, but I just know it happened. There was a point in the process of looking for land, looking for a building, looking for a place to call home, that we took that upon ourselves and started seeking a building instead of seeking God. Even though it was good to have a building, and even though we knew God wanted us to, we gave it more weight than He did. And I know it happened because I started exchanging my joy for wanting a building. I started paying in peace. Somebody help me. What weighs more, a building or peace? peace. What weighs more, a building or joy? joy? But see, I was giving too much weight to it. And we looked for four years or more. And uh, we were getting really close to signing a lease on a place. And, um, you know, we thought, well, this may do for now. But in the course of this, the Lord had really dealt with us and told us what the next step was for our ministry. And his words were this, begin taking steps towards television. Okay? And the place we had found, we thought, well... I think maybe we could do TV here. We could just get it and see if it worked. But something wasn't settling right with that. And it wasn't until several things happened. Number one, I went before Sarah and our staff, which had grown to like four, and, and the Lord and said, I repent. I repent for giving too much weight to this building. I repent for giving too much weight to this search. Folks, I was online night and day. I know nobody in here has ever done that, but I was online looking and searching. Of course, you've never looked for a car or a house or clothes or anything like that, but I did. I did that. And I was online. I was online when I should have been sleeping. I was online when I should have been praying. I was online when I should have been reading. And I was looking and looking and looking and looking. And I found this one site that would show you all a, a bunch of listings, but if you wanted to see the premium listings, you had to pay a one-time fee of $80. And I thought, well, I need the premium listings. So I get my credit card out. What am I doing now? I'm spending my money. I'm giving weight to something that he didn't tell me to give weight to. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And then finally just went before the Lord, like I said, and Sarah and our staff and said, my days of searching are over. I'm going to let resting in Jesus bring this building to us. And we just made a decision to rest. Can I tell you, it was not but a matter of days, right around that, that I get a phone call from a partner of ours. He says, hey, what's going on with you guys? I believe in God for a building. What do you need a building for? I said, well... I believe he's told us to take steps towards television. Hey, have you thought about calling this other guy? Guy I knew used to work for my grandparents in the TV ministry who had buildings, had a TV studio. I thought, well, no, I hadn't really thought about that. He said, well, I think you should call him. Call this guy. Hey, man, how you doing? Hadn't talked in years. And, he, and I said, hey, listen, I'm just curious. What's going on with your place? He said, this is so crazy that you're calling me. Because just this week, my wife and I have thought for the first time ever that it might be time to sell this because they're changing their business and all that. I thought, well, we, we, should, we should meet. In the midst of that, 
Sarah and I for years had been searching, searching our hearts and asking, Lord, how are we going to know when this is you? How are we going to know that we've found our place? And the only thing we knew was that when we were in my grandfather's services, it happened more than once, more than twice, probably more than three times, he would begin telling the story about how they got their ministry property. And he would come, and it's like he'd just come and stand right in front of us and tell the story about how he had seen this property, and the Lord told him, that's it. You go and tell the old man that owns it, the Lord has need of this property. So he went, and he went and told Mr. Pruitt about how the Lord has need of this property. And Mr. Pruitt, an elderly gentleman, sat there in his chair and said, well, it's for sale. And Papa would say, well, we don't borrow money. And they would sit there. And Papa said they would sit there for 10, 15 minutes in complete silence. Nothing but the ticking clock. And old Mr. Pruitt would say, come back and see me. So Papa would come back, have the exact same conversation again, sit there in silence. Mr. Pruitt would say, come back and see me. And this would happen two, three, maybe four times until finally Mr. Pruitt looked at him and said, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to divide my property into four sections. Now, if you don't have a problem with leasing, you can lease from me one section at a time, and when you've paid out the lease, I'll just deed you that section of the property. Papa said, that sounds good. And Mr. Pruitt said, now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the fourth section of this property. And man, every time he would preach that, Sarah and I would just be... Going off saying, that's it. That's how we'll know. We'll have favor on it. Just like that. And so we went out and met with this couple who owned these buildings, and one of, and one of which was a TV studio. And they said, we don't even really know what we want to do here. We just, let's just talk. Let's just pray. So we did, and we said, well, let's get together again. We got together again, and they had sought the Lord, and they put out in front of me and Sarah all these different options of things we could do to be on this property. But when we got to the last one, this is what they said to us. You ready? They said, Jeremy, Sarah, we believe this property is yours. We believe the Lord wants you to have it. And here's what we want to do. We want to divide it into four sections. <laughs> and if you want to lease from us a section at a time, if, if you would do that, then we'll just deed you that section of the property when the lease is out. There'll be no loan. They said, but here's what the Lord laid on our heart. We want to give you this fourth section of the property. Sarah and I, big tears began to fill our eyes. And they looked at us like, what's wrong with you? And we said, don't you know Papa's story? We told him the whole story that I just told you. And he said, I worked for that man for so many years and I have never heard that story. Look what happens when Jesus becomes your treasure. And not a building, not a piece of property. See, Papa and Mimi, they had that beautiful property. And some of you know that there's, a, there's an airport right there, right on the property. Can I tell you something? Our new place is on an airport. <laughs> We're right on an airport. We're right on an airport. And the Lord enabled us to pay cash for the first section of the property. We own it. We're right. We're on it. We own it. Look, now I want you to see this. I've gone too long. Let me, let me begin to wrap this up. I want you to see this. This is what resting in Jesus. This is what seeking God instead of seeking stuff will do. He'll add it to you. The building we're in, folks, it wasn't for sale. 
I could have looked online day and night. I could have paid $800 for all the premium listings, and it never would have been there. It wasn't for sale. Yeah. Yeah. But he added it to me the moment I gave weight to just fellowshipping with him. Praise God. One day in the life of Jesus, he was walking along and a, a rich young ruler came running to him and said, good teacher, what good thing must I do? Can you hear that? Yeah. What do I got to do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus talked to him about the commandments and he said, I've done all that. And notice this, you, you've heard this before. Jesus looked to him. This is in Mark chapter 10. And it said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. And out of that love for this young man, he extended to him an invitation that he did not extend to very many people. He said, here's what you do. Go sell what you have and give to the poor. And follow me. Follow me. Now, before you go and make doctrine for every rich person that that's what they're supposed to do, that's not what every person is supposed to do. There were times when his disciples said that what was given to him should have been sold, and Jesus said, no, it should not have. It's about hearing him right then. And that man went away sorrowful. Why? Because in that moment, Jesus put in front of him a scale. And on one side, Jesus put a personal invitation to come and be an eyewitness of a ministry that would change all of eternity, past, present, and future to be an eyewitness to miracles, to be a witness to the words of life being spoken. And Jesus put that on one side of the scale. And on the other side, that guy put all his money. And because his scale was unjust, he walked away sorrowful. Missed it. Missed it. But that's why Jesus said just a few verses later, he said, nobody has left house and home and, and family and stuff. Watch this. For my sake and the gospels. Oh, come on. That's the kingdom. That's what we give weight to. For your sake, Jesus, and the gospels. I spend for your sake and the gospels. I give for your sake and the gospels. I married that woman for Jesus' sake and the gospels. Every decision in your life let it be for Jesus' sake and the Gospels. Give weight to that. Give weight to the kingdom. Give weight to his assignment on your life. In contrast to that man, Jesus told a parable about another man who was working in a field and found a treasure out there. And for joy over it, he said, went and sold everything he had and bought a field. He buried that treasure in the field, went and sold everything he had, and bought a field. Can you imagine, ladies, if your husband comes home tomorrow in a panic, in a rush, and says, get it all together. It's all got to go. We got to sell everything right now. It's, 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 we're not keeping anything. Clothes got to go. Dishes got to go. Cars got to go. We need all these kids. Where's your, your mother's got It's all got to go. And finally, she gets him to settle down and says, what, what, what? He says, okay, we're buying a field. <laughs> and she says, you are the crazy man my mama warned me about. And he takes her out there to look at that field. And he's standing there. It's him and his wife and her mom. She just always seems to be there. And 
they're looking at that field and it's just kind of a dry patch of grass and some rocks and maybe an old dead tree out there. And he's just so excited. He's so stirred up. It's my field. And everybody else walking past said, this man is crazy. He sold, he sold everything he had for this stupid piece of grass. He sold everything he had for that old dead tree out there. Why? Because they're all looking at what is seen. But Jesus said, this man found treasure that was hidden. What is hidden? Unseen. Unseen. And for joy over it, sold everything he had. And Jesus said, that's the kingdom of heaven. And I love how the, the part of the man in the field is both you and God. Because that's what he did for you. Gave everything he had to buy you. So when you stand there looking in the mirror, like so many people looking at that field going, I don't like this, and I'm too that, and I'm too that, this, not enough that, God says, no, you're more valuable to me than you know. And you think, how can you say that, God? Because he's looking at the treasure that's buried in you. Folks, there's buried treasure in you. I said, there's buried treasure in you. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man seeking, seeking a pearl, the pearl of great price. And when he found it, what did he do? He put it on the scale. Here's everything I own. Here's one pearl. And in his eyes, it was worth everything he had and more. Now, you don't do that unless you believe that what you're about to get can replace everything you had and then some. And if you will see the kingdom of heaven like a treasure in the field and prioritize doing what he called you to do, if that becomes more weighty than money, if that becomes more weighty than anything else in your life and you're like Jesus, you say, Father... This is eternal life. What's eternal? It's a measurement. That they would know you and Jesus whom you sent. Nothing outweighs that. And the very next thing he said, what was it? I have finished the work you gave me to do. The moment we said, Lord, we're not looking for a building that might work. We're not looking for a cool place. We're not looking for a location. We're looking for a place that we can do what you've called us to do in it. The moment we settled that, he added it to us. His kingdom is a treasure. Precious, valuable treasure. I'm going all in. I said, I'm going all in. Anybody else with me? Anybody else going all in? There is no price too big to pay. There's no price too big. Everything I have, I am going all in, all for the call. That's what Sarah and I are doing right now in our lives. We are making some big changes. We're moving. As a matter of fact, at this moment in time, as I stand here before you, we are technically homeless. <laughs> we did before we came on this trip. We moved out of our house. And we, we've, got a, we've got a couple places we can stay here and there, but, but we're working on something. We're working on something. And all of it is for His sake in the Gospels. Before you make a move, ask yourself, 
is this for Jesus' sake and the Gospels? Before you get into a relationship, you ask, is this for Jesus' sake and the Gospels? Before you do something with your money, you ask yourself, is this for Jesus' sake and the Gospels? You give weight to what he calls weighty. You honor him. He'll honor you. Amen. I want to pray for you. And Sarah's going to minister this to us. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today and I thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful to be so thankful to be here, Jesus. So thankful to be alive at this time. I know there's an assignment. There's an assignment on us individually, and I know that there's an assignment on this corporate body. And we want you to know, sir, that we are all in. We are all for your call. We will go all in. We will go all out. And we will go all for the call of God. All for the kingdom of God. Your kingdom is a treasure. Our heavenly treasure is precious to us. Why don't we just say this out loud together. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I commit to you to give weight to the things you call waiting. If it's big to you, sir, it's big to me. If it's small to you, it's small to me. Help me adjust this scale. Help me to use a just balance. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe there's one or more, maybe several in here this morning. You have sensed the call to ministry on your life since you were young. Stop fighting that. Give weight to it. That doesn't mean run out of here and start a church next week. That doesn't mean you got to have an airplane and go all over the road. It just means, okay, Lord, what can I do today to give weight to your assignment on my life? And he may say, I've got somebody for you. Tell him I love him. Tell him I love him. Give him 10 bucks. Give him 20 bucks. Lord, that's my last 20. Stop, stop, stop. Don't give weight to that. That's what it's for anyway. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you're our treasure. And we believe we receive from you today a rich, rich relationship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Finally.